What's up, citizens? How's it going? How many of you guys have like, I've heard, I've heard the word midterm or like something thrown around, some big tests like coming up. Again, we got a big homeschool crew, so it's like whenever my mom tells me there's a test, we have one. Okay, so like, I, I, I'm just kidding. We love all you guys. Anyone have those like midterms, big finals coming up? We love you. We're, we're praying for you. They will be here sooner than you know it if you don't have them already. Hey, welcome. First of all, uh, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We are uh, cruising through the book of Acts right now. Uh, we'll be in Acts for a few more weeks. We've been going through chapters 4 through 9. And uh, this series has been what? With all what? Say it again. A series called With All What? Boldness. That's right. The people of God, empowered by God's Holy Spirit, go into the world that does not know Jesus yet, and they have a boldness uh, that shakes the ground, that literally it, it rocks the known world at the time, and we are seeing this story unfold right before our eyes uh, through the book of Acts, and the author, of course, is Luke, um, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, if you didn't already know that. I'd encourage you guys, if you're here uh, in this space and in this time, everyone up here, eyes up here, if you're here tonight... We would love for you to be here, meaning that um, you could have done anything else tonight. You could have been somewhere else. You could have been at home playing games. You could have been studying, whatever it is. Uh, but if you're here listening to my voice, it's because I believe, uh, I believe that God speaks to us through his word. And uh, I, don't believe that, uh, I don't believe that one person knows and can directly say, this is what God's telling me, so let me tell you. But I believe that God speaks through his word. And so when we get together and we listen to this world, uh, this word, uh, I believe it has power. And so if you're here listening to this, I want you to be here. And so if there's any distraction, any person or any cell phone, uh, whatever it may be, uh, remove yourself from those distractions and keep your eyes focused on the word. Because I believe that if we listen and we pay attention, that God's spirit would move and that you would be able to understand and you'd actually be able to listen to what God has for you. Do you believe that? All right, so let's put away distractions. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse one, we've been watching the church on the move. We've been watching the church grow. And as the church is growing at the same time, what else is happening? There's opposition. There's persecution. There are things happening that aren't ideal. But God in his sovereignty is using uh, these things hand in hand. It says in Genesis chapter 50 uh, that what man meant for evil, God uses for good. And we are seeing that on full display right here. Because last week we saw a man named Stephen a man named Stephen who is emboldened by God, who preached the word of God, who uh, beautifully and poetically speaks about the entire history of, of God's people and, and, and uh, our relationship to God before Christ, what that looks like and how all of the major characters of the Old Testament are actually foreshadowing Jesus. And in, uh, again, a beautiful but tragic event, Stephen is killed for this. And this event actually sparks world missions. This, this sparks what we know today as uh, uh, world missions and gospel mission. Look at this in chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. Talking about Stephen, of course. If you didn't hear that last week, go back and read that sometime tonight. Saul approved of his execution. We're going to learn all about Saul in this next chapter, in chapter 9 in a few weeks. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. 
But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Verse four. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed them to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. The first point tonight, persecution sparks gospel mission. Persecution sparks gospel mission. I've said this so many times before, I'll say it again. It is not just like in spite of bad things happening that the church grows and you grow. It is because of those things. It is the very nature of the pressure and, and, and the turmoil and the pain often. God uses those situations to grow our hearts and oftentimes grow the church and the church body. And it is no different here. Saul was ravaging. That word ravaging uh, is, is, is like this vicious, you can almost picture a wolf uh, prying on its prey and just like teeth wide, ravaging the church. But what does is, what is, uh, Luke say about this? Paul was ravaging the church, but those who were scattered while this was happening were doing what? Verse four, they were preaching the word. So the very thing that the enemy would say, see, we got him now. God is using this event to simply spread out his people to Judea and Samaria, the two places that Jesus said, you will go right before he said, then you'll go to the ends of the earth. You see, the gospel goes forth in the midst of persecution. It sparks gospel mission. There's three things from this small section of the passage that I believe uh, we can take out of this passage. Number one, uh, the gospel is for everybody. The gospel is for everybody. Uh, now, those who are scattered, again, Luke uses that word scattered. That word there is like, um, like seeds being scattered in a field. So this isn't a, a bad thing necessarily. Uh, we're seeing the beauty that comes from the church scattered throughout the world. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. The gospel is for everyone. The good news is for all ethnic groups, races, tribes, language, tongues, whatever it is. The good news, the real thing, the true gospel, the turn to Christ and be forgiven of your sins, that's for everyone. That news is for literally every single person who has ears and who has consciousness and who can receive and understand. Every single person, the gospel is for everyone. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. If you remember a few weeks ago, uh, these uh, deacons or these men full of faith were picked to do the ministry of what? The tables. And we saw last week, um, we saw Stephen was one of them and he was killed. And then it's kind of like, all right, on to the next guy, right? Uh, God always is building his church. And even if someone tragically is even killed or leaves the church, God always brings up someone else. And here we see Philip going to Samaria. And I think it's really important to talk about the where this is before we can even understand the what. Samaria, uh, and so like Samaria and Jerusalem, I cannot begin to describe the level of animosity and hatred and division and bitterness that there was between these two groups of people. Like I can't even fathom put into words. So like if I was to say, I live in Camas, but I go to Vancouver every single day to do work and to preach the gospel and to do all these things, um, that's pretty like normal, right? 
Like, there's nothing, there's no major differences between Camus and this part of, like, 192nd. You know what I mean? Like, there's, we all, like, look around the same. We all, like, uh, speak the same language. We have all these, you know, other than Camus being a little bit nicer than Vancouver, in my opinion. Other than those things, like, it's not that big of a deal. It's only a couple miles away. But when it says this, we can't just look and say, oh, Philip went to Samaria. I guess that's somewhere. I'm here to say that the context is so important because there was deep division between these two groups of people. In a way, without getting on too much of a tangent, God tells his people, the people of Israel, to be holy and to be separate from the rest of the world and worship Yahweh only. That was the command uh, that God gave his people in the Old Testament, the Israelites. The Israelites don't quite listen, but the Samaritans were a group specifically uh, that branched off uh, of the people of God. And so there would have been this kind of animosity of like, oh, they're not true believers. They can't know Yahweh. They can't be saved. So there would have been this back and forth tension and animosity between the two groups. I think we all got that. But the gospel is for everyone. There probably would have been a pretty long list of reasons why Philip thinks, you know, maybe going into Samaria uh, and telling them why they're wrong and why they need Jesus would be a, a bit of a dis, like a, a bit of a challenge for me. Maybe I could list a, a, a couple reasons why I'd rather go to prison than actually go to Samaria. I'm sure some of these thoughts were going through his head, but he goes anyway. And what happens in Samaria? What happens in this group of people? And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, and we see the ministry of healing and the ministry of casting out demons, and there was joy in that city because of what the word that came out. Something like this is impossible in God's kingdom, but, or in man's kingdom, but in God's kingdom, all things are possible, and the gospel is for everyone as you preach the gospel, as you live out the gospel, as you respond to gospel mission, where will the gospel take you? Where will the gospel take you? Who will the gospel take you to? What will you see? What will you experience for the sake of the gospel? Because the good news is for everyone. Oftentimes, I think we're tempted to think, okay, like, yes, I know we're all sinners, but there's a group of kids at my school that, like, they're, like, super sinners. Like, they're way too far gone. But, like, I'll try, like, if I bump into somebody, like, at the grocery store and they ask me about, like, my shirt that says citizens, maybe I'll tell them about Jesus. Maybe that'll be good. But, like, oh, dude, this guy in my math class, you have no idea. Are you ever tempted to think that the gospel is only for a certain group of people? The gospel surely can't be for, for, for those, like, for that person, Right? Like, Noah, you don't understand. Like, they're into drugs and not like the socially really acceptable ones. Like, Noah, they believe this about Christianity. I'm pretty sure they'd physically want to attack me if I told them that they were wrong and they think that they uh, needed the good news of Christ. Are you ever tempted to think that the gospel is not for everyone? Are we ever in our hardened hearts or in our prideful hearts thinking, you know what, maybe this person doesn't even deserve to know because of all the wrong that they've done? In moments like that, in situations like that, we have to look ourselves in the mirror and think, where would I be without Christ? What would my life look like if I didn't know Jesus? Sometimes it's hard to think about when you're really young. You're like, I don't know, I've always kind of uh, lived like this or been like this, but where would you be without Christ? If it wasn't for the person who shared the good news with you, what would you be doing? Where would you be going? We know that the gospel's for everyone and the gospel's always to be going out. This isn't a stagnant thing. The church isn't supposed to be stagnantly uh, waiting in the wings saying, maybe people will come to us. We need to be going out to them. 
looking ourselves in the mirror, thinking there's nothing so good about me. God didn't choose me because I'm special, because I have a certain like intellect or a certain avoidance of sin, so God said I was good enough. No, the gospel is for everyone. The worst person you can imagine in your life, the person who has made fun of you for the gospel, the person who has done certain things to their body that you disagree with, the person who has said things about the Bible that has made you upset, they need the gospel. And we can never once in our lives sit in our ivory towers or in our church pews and think, this is a safe space for me and my small group, and we're just gonna kind of do this thing. We're gonna encourage one another, build each other up. All that's fine. But the mission of God is to go out and to see that the gospel is for those people. The gospel is for everyone. And Philip, uh, a man of courage, a man uh, filled the Holy, full of the Holy Spirit, goes down to the city to proclaim to the people the Christ. Who will you proclaim the gospel to? Where will the gospel take you? Because it certainly can't stay just in, in your church seat. It can't just stay in your own devotion time. It can't just stay with a tiny group of people that you really vibe with. Who will the gospel take you to? And don't ever be tempted to think that this person's too far gone. There's too much animosity. There's too much of a separate wall between us. God can do incredible things. And he does here by bringing the good news to Samaria. Another thing the gospel does, the gospel breaks down sinful barriers between uh, uh, humans. The gospels break down sinful barriers that human, uh, humans make. And so I was saying here that there are uh, ethnic and uh, different uh, small beliefs that would separate these two groups of people uh, together. And I believe that God uh, can see some of these, or God sees these things and to this day grieves some of the separations that we can make uh, for one another in our minds. And there's lots of conversations going around these days uh, about how we can heal uh, racial or culture or ethnic divides that uh, rely or, or, or exist. Uh, how can we heal these things? How can we have the right conversations? What curriculum can we read or talk about? And we see here something incredible happen. Again, there is, uh, there is a racial or ethnic separation between the Jews and the Samaritans. There is animosity between these two groups of people. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said. And when they heard him and they saw these things, there was so much joy in that city. Reading down a few, uh, a few verses, um, it says this, when uh, skipping down to, where was it? The, the, the verse 14. Now, the apostles heard that in Samaria, the Samaritans had received the word of God. So something incredible happens here where the separation that existed between these two people is once again reconciled in the image of God. And we are seeing this. We are seeing this full on full display. We see the gospel smash through barriers and unite a group together that was once at odds with one, each other, with one another. There is one church, one spirit, one truth, one baptism, one group of people. The gospel's for everyone and the gospel tears down walls that uh, sinful humans will often put up. The gospel is for everyone and the gospel is the ultimate tool of reconciliation. There is no other force stronger in the universe to unite two people together than the Holy Spirit. There is no force, no conversations, no politeness, no anything that can truly unite people together in love than the gospel and the Holy Spirit. It's something unique that Christians have that exists. And we believe that the gospel can actually heal some of these divides that we so often see and the things that we believe grieve God's heart. 
But we see here in a stunning early, early on in the church, days after the Holy Spirit, like, like in, a, in the course of a few weeks, one of the biggest long-standing rivalries between these two groups of people is healed because of a united passion for who? Jesus. And we believe that the gospel and the gospel only can do these things, the real, true gospel. What else does the gospel do to us? The gospel is more important than my comfort. Again, Philip probably could have thought of a couple reasons why he would maybe want to go somewhere else other than Samaria, but the gospel always drives us out of our comfort zone because the gospel is always more important than our comfort. Again, persecution is starting this worldwide mission. Uh, Look, you're going to have plenty of days and plenty of moments and plenty of times where all you can think about is, God, I don't really want to be here. I don't know why you brought me to this space. I'm not sure what happened in my life, God, to have you have, make me come here. But the gospel is always driving us or should always be driving us out of our comfort zones. You're going to have, God, can I just go back to where I was? You're going to have moments where you're going to say, can I just go back to the way things used to be? But God uses pressure, discomfort, and yes, even pain to spark missions here in the church, but he also does the same in our heart. Where will God lead you? I guarantee you, oftentimes, every time, it will be out of your comfort zone. And the gospel is more powerful. The gospel, uh, the good news of Christ is so precious that we should be willing to step out of whatever box that we're in and say, you know what, I'm going. I'm going, I'm doing it, I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna have people know the gospel because of me. People will see Christ because of me, no matter where I'm at, God. Whether you brought me here uh, to this school and I was super happy about it or I'm super disappointed. Whether you brought me to this small group or whatever it may be, God, wherever God leads you out of your discomfort zone, it is worth it for the gospel. Oftentimes, I think this a lot. Instead of praying and asking, God, could you construct for me this perfect, peaceful American life where I can get a good job and I can have a good family and I can have a great house and I can just like do missions when I want to and can you just like construct this perfect life for me? Instead of praying those prayers, why don't we start praying, God, could you use me where you send me? Yes, protect my heart in the pain because I'm not saying uh, I, I'm not saying those, the pain is just like uh, obsolete and you don't have to think about that. Protect my heart in the pain, God. Mend my heart in moments that are, are difficult, but use me, God, where you are sending me. Use me where I'm going. Use me wherever it is you see fit for me to go and send me there. Instead of an attitude of comfort or protection or whatever it is, We need to have an attitude of Christians as God, use me where you send me. If it's in Samaria, a place that I didn't want to go. God, if it's here, right? Maybe I don't want to be here anymore, wherever it is you are in your life. Maybe some of you are like, dude, I'm done with high school. I'm ready to be out of this thing. I don't want to talk to anyone anymore. I I don't want to be here. God, just bring me to college. Just get me out of here. Why don't, instead of God, protect me from these things, we need to ask ourselves, are, are, are we valuing our comfort more than the gospel mission? And we need to be praying with one accord with one another, wherever you have me, God, use me. Whether it's in high school for another two years, whether you're looking at all four years of high school, whether he doesn't bring you to the college that you thought you wanted to get into and you're really disappointed about it, God, use me where you will send me because God will answer that prayer 
And he will often bring us out of our comfort zone. We are far too focused on comfort. God, this is hard. People are challenging me too much. I'm in the minority of Christians at the workspace I'm at or my school or in my state. And this feels bad. I don't want this. And the reality is in God's kingdom, God uses those things to propel the gospel forward when we are humble and we say, God, use me. I am an empty vessel wherever you see fit for me to be. Where are you at right now? Where will the gospel take you? What is the gospel doing in your life? Whatever method of movement God uses, let us always ask God that he would use us. It's a, it's a privilege to be used by God. We have to keep that in mind as well. Yes, there is potential physical harm. We don't see any come to Philip uh, in this passage. We, we don't see any uh, difficulties that could have come up, and that is a blessing. But it is a privilege to be used as an instrument of God's goodness and God's grace. There was much joy in that city. Look at verse nine. We're introduced to this guy named Simon here. Verse nine says, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him. And from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. All that translation is saying, this guy had a massive head. And he was, uh, he was a scam artist. He, you know, magic at the time, uh, some people would have said those who were severely, edu really, really educated uh, would have been able to considered magicians, like the magi who came to see Jesus, just really smart dudes. Uh, there could have been some sort of just trickery, like pick a card, any card, like, you know, and he was really good at illusions, or it could have potentially been some sort of demonic influence. The Bible doesn't specifically say, uh, but he's just a man. He's just a guy, but this whole city, whichever city it is, it doesn't say, uh, they're captivated. This guy's great. He's awesome. He does things we can't explain. It's so crazy, uh, but he's going to encounter something even better. They paid attention to him long because, for a long time because he had amazed them with his magic. But, verse 12, this is where the shift happens. When they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, even Simon. Look at that, verse 13. Even Simon believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs of great miracles performed, he was amazed. Part two, the power of Christ proves greater. The power of Christ proves greater than what? This guy, Simon. They looked at him and said, oh, you, he's great. He's doing all these things. But the power of Christ proved to be far greater. The one who used to falsely amaze others through tricks and worldly, uh, to gain worldly possessions and power is now amazed and humbled by the real thing, the power of Christ, the name of Jesus and the kingdom of God. I love this. The one, it says it, look, it says in verse 13, he was amazed right after saying, Samaria was so captivated by this guy who was doing amazing things. They said that he was great. And the one who once called himself great, the one who tried to amaze others and show off himself is now completely uh, turned upside down by this good news and looks to Christ as great and looks to the holiness of God as great. I don't know if you've ever been this, um, this has ever happened to you, uh, but sometimes like when you hang out with a friend, like let's say you're like, hanging out, with, like playing Xbox or whatever with like your friends and uh, you're kind of super thirsty, but you're not like super good friends with them yet. And so you're like, I really want a drink so bad, but like they aren't my super close friends and I don't want to just like walk up and get it. And then after playing for a couple minutes, they're like, hey, is anyone thirsty? And you're like, yes, me, please. I, 
I am thirsty. I would like some something. And they're like, okay, cool. I got water. I've got milk. I've got Dr. Pepper. And you, I don't know about you, but Dr. Pepper's, I don't drink a lot of soda, but my favorite soda is Dr. Pepper. It is the best. It is easily the best. How do they get 23 flavors in there? I don't know. It's amazing. Did you guys know that? There's 23 flavors, Dr. Pepper. You didn't know that? Well, there you go. You learned something at youth group tonight. There you go. Um, and then they come back and you can sip it. And you're like, okay, a big Dr. Pepper fan. And you sip this thing and you're like, this is, this is good. Okay, this is different. Yeah, this isn't Dr. Pepper. And then they bring out the whole two liter. And you, in horror, stand as you see. You're not drinking Dr. Pepper. You're drinking Dr. Dynamite soda. Incorrect. We will pray for your soul. Dr. Dynamite is not the same thing as Dr. Pepper. It is so different. I can't begin to describe how different it is, right? Boo, yeah, okay, enough with the booze. But then your friend's like, oh, dude, but it's like Dr. Pepper. It's kind of the same thing. No, 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 no. It's nothing like the real thing. It is nothing like the real thing. The real Dr. Pepper. The real Dr. Pepper. There it is, 23 flavors. I love it so much. I can't even begin. I was going to kick that over, but I'm afraid it's going to explode. But the whole point is this. The real thing pales in comparison, right? Anything fake will pale in comparison to what is real, to what is true, to what is amazing, to what is better. It is a clear winner here that Dr. Pepper is better than whatever off-brand, whatever fake thing that falls up in the shadow. And the same thing happens here. The same principle applies here to this passage. When we encounter the real thing, anything else pales in comparison. When we encounter the true gospel, yes, offensive as it may be that we are in sinners and that we need to be saved, when we truly understand